When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Electric cars are normal now. Most can go over 200 miles on a single charge, with many going up to 500 miles of range. And there are electric vehicle charging stations all across the country. Electric cars, they're normal now. Learn more about electric cars at a National Drive Electric Week event near you this September 23rd through October 2nd. Find out more at driveelectricweek.org. You're listening to a Castaway Media Podcast. Find our shows on iTunes or visit the website, castaway.media. Hello and welcome to episode 27 of Potterooney. I am standing in St. Andrew's Square in Edinburgh as I'm playing here tonight in the Stand Comedy Club and tomorrow night and the night after. And I, uh, I'm, um, I'm not sure if I should have walked across the grass here because it looks newly lane but uh, no one's come up to me and no one's bothered me so I'm trying to get a little bit of uh, space on my own here I'm being watched by a seagull a Scottish seagull a nasty looking probably a Glasgow seagull by the look of him so this episode is an interview with uh, Frank Kelly otherwise known more famously probably as Father Jack but of course he's done so much in his career including Hulse Pictorial Weekly if you're Irish you will remember Wanderley Wagon and much much more so I went out to his house and interviewed him there so I've brought the kids over to Edinburgh for the weekend I'm doing the gigs here and I've brought them with me and uh, I booked the kids on Ryanair um, I had a little bit of a problem again oh dear yeah I booked them as a, it was one adult and two teens because they are teenagers but when I went to check in online last night I found that I couldn't check my son in because Ryanair defined a teenager as 13 to 16 I believe yes they don't consider a 17 year old or an 18 year old a teenager so I couldn't check in online and therefore I had to wait till I got to the airport and you know that they charge you when you get to the airport. So I was prepared. I thought if they put up any kind of a argument, I'm going to ask my son to video what was happening. And that was my mistake because you bring out a video camera in an airport. I didn't know this before, but immediately a security are alerted. So I, uh, I, I had security men on the way as I negotiated this uh, situation with the lady and it was quite distressing because you know when you're on your way to a flight and you don't you don't want to miss the flight and just the security airport my hand started I got quite nervous and uh, I eventually sorted the whole thing out uh, but uh, the security came and they asked me why I was videoing and I told them I wanted a record of what happened at the desk and they asked me to delete it and they looked really really uh, Mm, kind of mean and not nice nice guys but you know nice guys that could kill you really quickly and uh, 
uh, it was just very stressful. So, but I sorted it all out, and I didn't have to pay any extra. And the girl at the desk was actually quite nice at the end of the day once the whole thing was situated, s- 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 sorted out. So uh, there you go. Um, let's uh, let's move on, and uh, yeah, uh, I'm going to give you a listen here. Can you have a listen to Edinburgh? There you go. Now have a listen to Frank Kelly. So listen, Frank, uh, do you, have you grown up in Dublin? Or? Yes, indeed. I grew up in Blackrock, in the district you're in. Yeah, yeah. I was first in, uh, I was born in Mount Merion Avenue. Then we moved to Evoke Avenue, which is not very far away really from it. Mm. And uh, then I moved to Frascati Park, mm. where I, I wasn't because I had just started to work on a newspaper and I was sub-editing at night, so I was never home. Right. And, uh, and, and I, was, I was courting my lady, my wife. Yeah, my then fiance, and uh, so I never got home at all. Then it was less than a year, and then I got married, and I lived in Monkstown, mm-hmm. in Stradbrook Lawn, in Stradbrook Lawn. In um, my God, I can't remember my previous address. Well, we'll come back to that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but when you were growing up, uh, what did your father do? My father was a very talented man. He was a very successful civil servant. He mm. Went into the civil service at 16 and um, he did the uh, exam which changed his grade from being just a kind of a gopher mm. to a bona fide civil servant. Mm-hmm. He did the executive exam and um, then he went right to the top in the civil service eventually, mm. right up to various departments to head of broadcasting which was very influential in this day because there was no television, there was no RTE television mm. then. Mm. And um, he had a very busy life because as well as doing that, he ran Dublin Opinion magazine, which he started at the age of 19 mm. with some two friends of his and they predeceased him and he ended up editing on, on his own. And what was that? Was that a uh, Political Satirical. Mag- Satirical magazine, right? A okay. funny magazine, yeah. yeah. And very influential at the time. Mm-hmm. And although it was called Dublin Opinion, it was on every farmhouse table. Mm-hmm. And, and you know the way there's a resentment towards the word Dublin down the country? Mm. But it, it was so uh, mischievous and funny that it was hugely popular. Yeah. Very popular abroad, too. People sent it abroad a lot, you know, to their friends and relatives and things. Mm. And uh, <coughs> clerics sent it to the missions and things like that, you know. All right, so you grew up with that whole, uh, I mean, because you're obviously involved with Hulse Victoria Weekly and all satire throughout your... Yeah, I got involved with satire in college, in UCD. Right, yeah. And Beyond the Fringe was on in London, and we kind of aped that. We mm. did similar kind of comedy. It really wiped out um, variety. Mm. It, was, it, it was very alternative in its time. Mm. And... Um, it really just variety seemed to vanish off the face of the earth at the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. I had been in variety many times, mm. so I know I was there for it. So one of my jobs killed the other. Really? So sorry, when, when you started off, so when well, you went to school here in I went to Blackrock College. Blackrock College, yeah. And but I, I tunneled out. <laughs> they'll never find the tunnel. <laughs> but were you? They found a pile of earth, but they don't know where it came from. Yeah. Where were you? Uh, 
what were your feelings about Blackrock College or being going there? Well, I didn't have a very happy time there, mm. but thousands of people did. Mm. So there's no point in moaning and moping about that. You get over that and get on with your life. School was pretty rough mm. then. I mean, mm. there was plenty of uh, beating and all that kind mm. of thing. But that was accepted in all the major colleges. Yeah. But even like Bob Galdoff uh, isn't one to uh, not hold back from moaning about Blackrock College. <laughs> yeah, but I wouldn't do it to that extent. I have done yeah. it socially. I've done it among friends. I've done, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, I wouldn't go down there to chair debates and things. Mm-hmm. But uh, I wouldn't be as public as... As, as he has been. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? And didn't Ardle Handel go there as well? Ardle did too, yeah, and so yeah. was his dad. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But when you were there, so did you get involved in anything performance wise? I or, did, yeah, you know? oh yeah, I was the, the voice. I had a soprano voice as a boy, and yeah. I was in altogether nine major shows on the Blackrock College stage. Yeah. I was in the annual. Uh, uh, <coughs> Gilbert and Sullivan Opera, or Operetta, yeah. uh, for the senior school. Yeah. I was the soprano, and I was also then in Willow Park, yeah. in the, the Willow Park show every year. Yeah. So, I mean, we did Gilbert and Sullivan for uh, the senior school, and then, you know, these operettas, these mm-hmm. little things for, for the younger boys. Mm-hmm. And uh, I spent a lot of time, it, it hit me badly uh, academically, because I spent a lot of time out of class for opera practice, because I was so young, mm-hmm. I wasn't able to mm-hmm. manage the two things. So I wasn't very bright, uh, I thought, until uh, I, I failed the inter twice, the inter twice. And yeah. uh, I failed the primary. I was the only boy who failed the primary cert. And then and was that a, at about was 17 or so, I decided... How did your parents take to that? To, was that a problem at home or...? Well, everybody made allowances because of the voice. That's they used to okay, say. He okay. gives so much pleasure with the music. Right. I felt very exploited, so I gave up the opera. Mm. And um, I gave up learning the violin, formally. I didn't give up playing, but I gave up learning it. Mm. And um, I went to a grinders and I studied for the matric and I got it. Mm-hmm. And that was, I became a kind of pariah in the college because I had this mark on me. I was the only one qualified to go into UCD. And I could arse around in, in sixth year <laughs> yeah and play a lot of snooker drink the odd pint you oh, so know. you had one year to go but you'd already qualified to go into UCD I had yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. so yeah. Uh, I went into UCD and it all opened up for me hmm. I was a good student there and I adored it it absolutely agreed with me I, what, I played, played rugby and I, I again drank pints and I was in the Dramsoch Dramatic Society hmm. And we did all sorts of uh, strange shows, but particularly uh, very successful reviews, mm. one of which translated out into the uh, Olympia eventually. And uh, so that was good going for students, mm. you know, to make it out of there into the Olympia. So what year are we talking now? What? Oh, my goodness me. I left school about mm. 57, so uh, four years, 60, 61, mm. I would have come out of college, you know. Mm. And... What did you go? What did you go into study in in UCD? I did a BCL degree. I did uh, a law degree. And mm. um, if I ha- hadn't been so crowded at that time with activities and having fallen in love with my wife, mm. I would have gone on and done uh, an LLB. But I did the bar, mm. so I qualified as a barrister. Mm. 
And um, I loved that. I loved, loved doing law. Yeah. It fascinated me, the whole thing. I loved everything at that time. I was all full of energy, you mm. know. Mm. And I hitchhiked all over Europe. And when I say that, I hitchhiked right through Belgium, out through the northern Germany, down through the Rhineland, out into Alsace, back in again, down again through uh, Germany into Switzerland. Yeah. And uh, then out of Switzerland and down the Rhone Valley in France at Lyon, starting at Lyon. Uh-huh. And Narbonne, Carcassonne, right down the, 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 the Rhone Valley. Mm. Out to the Riviera, where mm. we weren't very welcome because we looked pretty flea myself and my mate. We had big beards yeah. and rucksacks. <laughs> that doesn't fit the Riviera, you know. Right, oh, yeah. And then we came back in and then over the Pyrenees. Wow. From Ondaid, which would be the beginning of the Basque country. And uh, mm. over the Pyrenees and down into uh, Barcelona. Mm-hmm. And uh, came back by the coastal route. I didn't come back over the Pyrenees. Wow. But uh, it was a great adventure. Awesome. I spent £60. Pounds. For the whole trip? Yeah, because we slept on the ground. We slept out. The sleeping bags? Uh, no. Yeah. No? No. Just slept out in the countryside or wherever? Yeah, whatever we could warm ourselves with. Wow. Yeah. I remember lying in vineyards and taking fistfuls of the soil and crunching it up and smelling it because it smelled strong smell of wine because they're probably growing vines there for a thousand years. Mm. You know? So wow. we had a wonderful time. That must we slept have... rough. That's brilliant. Yeah. We used to have mm. to wait. We used to hang around. People look at us very suspiciously. Mm. And it was late enough to bed down somewhere, you know? Mm. I've done that in... in uh, Venice as well. I've slept rough in Venice. <laughs> you slept rough in Venice? I did, yeah. Must have been wet, wasn't it? Um, we got some cardboard boxes. Luckily, I was with two girls. So I slept rough with two girls in Venice. So That's the name of your novel. <laughs> rough with two girls in Venice. <laughs> you're that, made, you're made. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, Do you ever sleep rough now? No, I, I try not to. Oh, you're no good. That's right. <laughs> I remember one morning... I, 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 I slept in the car, and then the morning I went... That morning I went into RTE to do a programme about... What, uh, a business show about making a living out of comedy <laughs> the night before I'd slept in my car. <laughs> I didn't mention that. <laughs> no, you wouldn't drag that one up, no. Very uncomfortable to sleep in a car. Yeah, that's not Very good. to sleep in the open. Yeah. We were talking about very high temperatures. Yeah. I was in beautiful climates. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You couldn't do it in this part of the world at all. No, not the wet, wet Ireland. No. So that must have... Did that, they say travel broadens the mind. Did that kind of um, change it in any way? It was a great or? experience. Yeah. That's all. I still relive bits of it. Mm-hmm. It was truly wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And um, then I had mm. quite a successful career starting as an actor because I got very good billing. When, when did you, why did you make the decision? I mean, obviously you are performing constantly and did you think, look, I'm all, that's what I'm going to do? Right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Even though you were studying law and stuff? Yeah, like, even yeah. though I was, all the various things I was doing, yeah. it became a vocation. I just knew I had a vocation. Yeah. I wasn't going to be doing anything else. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, so what was that review you said went from, you started it in UCD? We had one called Fair Game. Mm. And I think probably that was the one that went out into the theatre. That went into the Ablana Theatre. Mm-hmm. But uh, we, had, we had another one as well. And what, what kind of thing, were they satirical as well or are they... Highly. Yeah, OK. Highly subversive. Yeah. yeah. <coughs> Hard-edged 
subversive stuff, yeah. Mm. That was enormously popular. We played at the Isle of Max, the old main hall on um, Stephen's Green. Mm. And you see, UCD was situated in town then. And um, we had almost the entire front bench of the government one night at the show. Mm-hmm. And another night, at least on various nights, we had most of the front bench, the opposition. Mm-hmm. When you're attracting that kind of interest, you're, mm-hmm. there is a revolution taking place, you know. <laughs> and th- it, was a, it was a revolution, you know, it was. I don't mean in the sense of the 1916 revolution, but artistically it was a revolution. Yeah. What was happening in the 60s then? And um, Like, Ireland wasn't really... It was a swing in the 60s in London, but I'm sure Ireland was still pretty... Cons- it was beginning to swing. Yeah. But that was a breakthrough, anyway, in comedy. Yeah. And it caused a lot of public interest. Yeah. And sold a lot of tickets. Yeah. yeah. But eventually that kind of... The, the, the nice assumption that it was going to continue forever was swept away and there were times out of work and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I found myself getting involved with journalism, newspapers... Mm-hmm. I was in the Irish press, and um, I was in the uh, Independent. Mm-hmm. And my stays weren't terribly long on any of these. And then I went to the RT Guide, mm-hmm. where I disagreed with the editor and ended up as a, a circulation rep. But all that time I was appearing on television. You see, television yeah. was only done during the, only taped during the day then. So I used to do programmes during the day and go into work at night often. So, so what, what programmes were you doing in RT? Well, I was on the very first one ever transmitted, Broadsheet. Mm-hmm. And uh, I used to interview... I remember interviewing a man at Clontarf and he was very exercised, very energised about a, a rubbish dump. And uh, he said it was a terrible threat to people's health and mm-hmm. the, the, the general uh, uh, nature of, of everything out there. And... Uh, he wanted to get, he was going to move hell and high water to get it removed. And just out of the blue, I said to him, well, what will you do when you get that, when you've achieved that, when you get rid of the rubbish dump? And he said, well, uh, I suppose I'll have to find another dump. <laughs> <laughs> I pitched the entire studio. I remember Ronnie Walsh, who was an interviewer on that. He was an actor, Ronnie Walsh, very famous at the time. Mm. <clears throat> Ronnie doubled over with laughter. Mm. He was sitting on a kind of a high stool and he was doubled over with laughter in the studio, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. But they all were. Mm. And then I went on to do television shows, Meet mm. Mrs Curran, which was a shocking flop. And then we had one called What's Wrong, where there were sketches performed. I did it with Claire Mullen and a number of people. Sketches performed and something was out of place and the audience had to guess what was wrong. We used to call it What's Right because mm. <laughs> everything was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that was another flop. Mm. And then I got Frank Hall, I got involved with Frank Hall, mm. and we did Newsbeat. Right. For a few years. So Newsbeat then, is uh, you going around getting stories around the country and. It was, it was uh, rather like a thing they used to do on the BBC at the time, although he hadn't copied them, he wasn't that kind of person. Mm. Um, the performers in the thing would do stuff just single faces to camera as mm. comments on the, on the editorial stuff that was coming out in the programme, you mm. know? Um, um. So you were mixing uh, real stories with maybe kind of... It was of all real, yeah, but it was a humorous take on them. It was a humorous take, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember Carlo yeah. Shannon interviewing a fellow 
And he was down in leash and he says, well, how, are you? how would you have tourism here? He says, he says there isn't even a graveyard in it. <laughs> and Carl said, it's not so, with the smile that he's... Uh, <laughs> poor late Carl, he was wonderful. It's not so, he said. That's right. He says, if I died tomorrow, I'd have to go to the next parish looking for a grave. <laughs> That's brilliant stuff, isn't it? We've got great stuff locally, mm. yeah. And then eventually... Was that it, on film now? You were recording on film there? Yeah. yeah and, and It became and, Hall's Pictorial yeah. Weekly. And Because the journalists who had been... Were serious journalists mm. dealing with humorous stuff and they wanted to pursue their careers seriously mm. and there was no falling out. <coughs> so there was a new format devised for the programme and that was Hall's Pictorial Weekly. Mm. And that ran for many years. Mm. God well, bless it. I had a family to feed. It was it, great. Yeah. I was on the road doing gigs the whole time as well. Though. I was finished with, with, with newspapers and everything like that then, well mm. finished with them. Mm. But, I mean, I would drive from West Cork to Dublin and arrive in for rehearsals. Yeah. I drove from West Cork one time to uh, the Eblana and the director took himself very seriously. And as I arrived in, he said, I'd like you all to take a half an hour off and have a coffee or something. He said, because I want to collect myself. And I thought, you're going to collect yourself? And I've driven from bloody West Cork. Yeah. And that must so have been I was a... very common, very vulgar, very interested in earning money to rear my family. Oh, yeah. A lot of actors didn't approve of that. <laughs> that wasn't sufficiently accurate. You, know? you should suffer. And the, I remember an actor telling me one night, I don't do the sort of thing you do, you do singing and dancing and that sort of thing. I used to play the fiddle yeah. and sing and dance and anything that was required yeah. uh, on, on, on these shows. But where, where would you play? What, what, were you going down to West Cork? To, in hotels. In a hotel, right, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, but there'd be big gigs. There'd be something like the accountancy profession would take over a hotel. Yeah. That'd be a big okay, audience. a corporate... I remember doing the medical, a, a local medical society, or a, mm. a medical society mm. one down the country, but there was a tremendous number of doctors there, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. you know? And what were you doing? You were doing a few songs, a bit of comedy? Doing comedy and uh, a funny song. Yeah. And probably, probably interspersed with a bit on the fiddle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. then I used to arrive in utterly whacked. Mm. And uh, I... I I just found it amusing that in, in a good play you only did one thing. You played one character, you acted. Mm. Whereas, of course, as you will well appreciate from your own work mm. on the variety circuit, God knows what you'll be doing, you know. No, yeah, yeah, you can do... Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Whatever yeah. entertains them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what was it like working with Frank Hall? I, I, you know, you have, I've heard stories of his temper and his... Never with me. We no. were very close. Mm. Insanely close. He never. He wouldn't do a show without me. He was, he was terribly good, terribly loyal. Mm. Um, he was not a man to cross unjustly. Mm. He was very fair, but he was very tough. Mm -hmm. And um, predictably, there were administrative people who crossed him. Mm. One time, somebody on the director general's corridor crossed him was smart-ass with him on the phone. I remember well, he was in the office, all pictorial office, and we could see him leave the production building for the uh, administrative one. You know, the way it looked, its face is down and the others are sideways to it. Yeah. In RT, and we could see him heading out. He grabbed his coat and he was really going to, <laughs> to leave marks on somebody if he found them mm. at their desk there. He mm. said, right, I'm coming over, OK. So he went over... And when he got there, the 
the entire Director General's uh, area, the whole corridor was empty. <laughs> They'd all gone home. Nobody wanted to confront Franco. Yeah. He was formidable. Yeah. <coughs> He'd be right. Yeah. Was there like <laughs> pressure on him because of, from, say, the political parties? Do you think that there might have been pressure? No, on no, no. Not, not from the political parties. His orientation would have been largely Fianna Fáil, strangely enough. Yeah. And yet with satire, they could never have believed that. They couldn't all have believed that because uh, mm. he was like my father with Dublin opinion. He was accused of being anti Fianna Fáil or anti Fine Gael or anti whatever mm. party it was, Sinn Féin, mm. by rabid supporters of these parties who couldn't see the light at all. They couldn't see mm. the, the function of satire, the impartiality of mm. firing off at targets, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was the, such an amazing memory. It's my earliest memories of watching the whole family would sit around and watch Halls Victoria Weekly. And I remember the, the being in a town on the way down to Cork and I pulled in. And while I went into this huge pub, I don't know, I smoked then. I probably get cigarettes or something like that. Yeah. I went in and half seven came. And all st- everything stopped. It was a huge pub. Yeah. None of the tills rang. Nobody ordered a drink. Yeah. And there was total silence for Hall's Pictorial Weekly yeah. for half an hour. Yeah. Well, it was going to be half an hour. It wasn't going to be half an hour for me. I did stay for about a quarter of an hour. Yeah. I was just absolutely transfixed. I was amazed by this. How, what a grip it had on the country. Yeah. And I sidled out and slipped out the front door, got into the car and drove away. Yeah. So we were hitting the mark anyway. Oh, it was uh, amazing. And we can remember all the names. It was R- Richie Ruin. Was that the... That's right. And the Minister for Hardship. For Hardship. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wasn't there a Minister for... Uh, oh, Telegraph Holes and Gateposts or something That's like that. That's right. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Minister for Telegraph Holes. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. Did you all get together and... <laughs> I remember. Excuse me. <clears throat> Frog in my throat. Sorry. Yeah, no problem. <clears throat> it's that time of year. Yeah. But... Um, I remember being down in Limerick on a bridge crossing the river and I was confronted by a Fianna Fáil TD <coughs> who tore me apart. Mm. He said we were undermining all values in the country and everything. And uh, <coughs> we could be, we could be, be careful and refrain from, from, from undermining the constitution and the way of life of the whole country, you know. And he was going to have a heart attack in front of me, I thought. And as he walked away, panting after his tirade, mm. he said, but there's one thing, if there's a bit you want to do on me, you're so free to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny that way. So but it became something to be mentioned on it, you see. Mm, mm. But at the same time, he didn't hold back. I mean, I, I can some there's some so-called satirical shows where... They've no bite, really, and it is more, more or less just... See, it's an editorial thing. Mm-hmm. All, all that was Frank, and he was responsible for every syllable of it. We performed it. Mm. When Eamon and I, Eamon Morrissey and I, did the two old fellas from Wicklow, mm. boys, oh, boys, I, yeah. when we did that, that was originally written for two men from the Morn Mountains, because mm. Frank was from Newry, mm. <coughs> and his reference would have been northern. Mm. And we were clowning in the studio doing it with Wicklow accents and he heard us and he said, right, leave it like that. And yeah. I'll write for you like that. And uh, he did. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, you know? Brilliant. And Bally McGash was brilliant. Uh, the Bally McGash councillors, yes. But there yeah. was a guy down the country, down Longford way, 
And I was Parnell Mooney, the chairman of the mm. county council. Mm. And um, uh, he used to go off at ankles and uh, nobody quite knew what he was talking about at all. Mm. Lunatic. Mm. And uh, they just took him for granted and he kept his job and stayed on. re-elected again. But... Um, he talks absolute rubbish, absolute nonsense. So Frank invented Parnell Mooney, mm. given long sermons of this rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> it was the parallel of this, and they knew it, of course, you know. Mm. Satirising something again, you know. Mm, mm, mm. Which is a good idea, because satire has a real function in the state. I mean, without it, nobody sees the obvious possibilities of very serious, wonderful decisions, you know. Yeah. Turn them up the other way and have a look at the underside. And it's Maybe heading for chaos. Just absurd. Yeah. So democracy allows you to do that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's brilliant stuff. Amazing. Now, were you doing um, the... Uh, what was that programme where you did the character on the phone? Hello? Guess who? That uh, was the Glen Abbey, Glen Abbey show. Glen Abbey. That went for seven years. Was that around the same time as... It was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It had one million listeners... Mm, mm. and it wasn't credited with that although that was done in a survey that commissioned by a newspaper mm. uh, RT didn't really publicise that because it wasn't a station programme mm, it, was it, a, wasn't it, a, it was sponsored was it? yeah, sponsored yeah. programme Glen Abbey were Glen Abbey were knitwear knitwear company, yeah. Yeah. beautiful stuff actually yeah. gorgeous stuff, I used to get free sweaters mm. wonderful you're still advertising them they were lovely <laughs> yeah, yeah. have we still got Glen Abbey on the market? Uh, no I don't know, I don't think so no but um, no, the, it was eventually the factory from Black Rock. It's gone now. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I did that for seven years, and uh, it had a huge. It, it eventually generated, as I say, one million listeners, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. And I remember going through a customs post once, and I was getting a rough time from the two guys on the post. What was my business, and what was I doing? Was what? I subversive? Going into England? No, no. not going into the north. Going of the north. Much worse. Oh yeah. yeah. Then. Yeah. And um, uh, in the middle of the conversation, I said, that radio in the background, that's my show, that's me on the show. Mm-hmm. And they were great fans of the show. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, you're all right. <laughs> you're way with you, you're all right. You're yeah. a great guy altogether, you know. Right. Just on the strength of my radio show being on. All right, I right. got a bit of bomb in the booth. <laughs> <laughs> These are Northern Ireland. They weren't British Army guys then. They were they, customs they, people, customs, so yeah, customs yeah, yeah. and excise. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And ran ran for what five years? Is it is seven? It seven years. Wow. And it was uh, one once a week, was it? Once a week. And did you record it in studio or actually on a phone? In studio. In studio. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. In a commercial studio. Incredible stuff. And that went on uh, vinyl as well. You released a couple of them on vinyl. Six albums. Six that, albums. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Um, and mm. is that around the same time that you... Did you also put other sketches on the albums? I mean, I remember the one about Yahooing. You had a kind of a BBC... No, that was, B, that, that, that was Glen Abbey Show. Too. That was a Glen Abbey Show uh, as well. Everything, so yeah. it wasn't necessarily just the guy on the phone. You did other stuff. Oh, everything, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. The fellas... Whatever came in desperation, you know. I mean, I wrote songs, and uh, some of those were written in utter desperation. I had no inspiration for a sketch. Yeah. I started to doodle and write a song. Right. It was terrific tyranny, once every week for seven years. And you had to have it ready. Yeah. So So you had to write and you write. You had to write. It's great to so have I'm a writing deadline. scripts all my life. Yeah. Now, that's why I can write a book. I mean, because mm. I had the discipline to sit down and write within a certain framework, a certain mm. reference, and stay there. Mm. 
So I'm, I'm actually writing scripts. I used to write for Variety, too. I used to write mm. sketches for Jack Cruz mm. and one or two for Cecil Sheridan in my day. Mm. And um, Was that for live sketches or for TV? No, live, yeah. stage. Yeah, yeah, for stage. Yeah. Um, I wrote a bit, quite a bit for Variety at the time. Mm, mm, mm. And I'm writing all my life. Right, yeah. But, uh, and at the same so time... So the discipline you... of sitting down to write a book mm-hmm. is something I rather relish if there's some chance of it being published. Mm. Some chance. Well, your book's out now, isn't it? It is yeah. indeed, yes. Yeah. Yes, the next yeah. gig. The reason I called it the next gig... Yeah. was that there is, as you will appreciate, Joe, the only the next gig. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. the last gig and the next gig. And anybody who sits on his laurels after one yeah. is going to land on his bum. Mm. I know. It's a very strange uh, profession when you consider... A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, a bit sick and I went to the doctor and I said, well, I need, I'm need. i working tonight. And the doctor said, well, I can give you a note. <laughs> That's not going to work. <laughs> no, 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 exactly. Yeah. You can't get someone to read out a note to the audience. Not really, no, <laughs> can you? No, and then they're not going to post the money to you. Yeah. yeah. No. Um, so in that way, you're, you're... I remember once I was mm. talking to an actor who was draped against the wall in Groom's Hotel, <laughs> which was a great late-night drinking place for years and years. Mm. It was opposite the Gate Theatre, up there. Mm. And... Um, we don't, Joe Groom was treasurer of the Fianna Fáil party. Um, we'd, everybody drank in there from high court judges to everybody, everybody mm. of any influence, as well as all the actors, drank mm. there. And the Dubliners and people like that. And uh, why did I start this? Um, oh, yes, there was an actor draped against the wall, and he said, I don't do the sort of thing you do, a very actress voice. Mm. I don't do the sort of thing you do, this singing and dancing and mm. playing the violin and... Mm. You know, I, I don't do any of that. He said, I, I'm a straight actor. Mm. Oh, I said, and what are you doing at the moment? He said, I'm in Ardmore making a movie. I said, oh, really? That's fascinating. Mm. What he didn't know was that I'd been dubbing him all week. Really? <laughs> yeah, and I dubbed him all the following week. <laughs> Many years later at a party, he's dead now, Lord Mercy. Many years later at a party, he came to me and said, did you ever dub me? And I said, not that I can remember. <laughs> so you didn't uh... You have to tell lies sometimes. Mm. But do you feel that throughout your career, then, that you did have a kind of... Uh, you were looked down on by, by the so-called... I was, by legitimate actors, yeah. I was look, looked down on, yes. Yeah. yeah. And, of course, you can't, in, in, in our business, you can't look down on anybody because you could yeah. land on your bum the following week, you know yeah. I mean? You, you, could, you can't look down on anybody. Yeah. <laughs> there may be kind of... <clears throat> excuse me, kinds of work that you don't rate, you don't want to do them, that's fair enough, but be quiet about it. Be quiet and just make the money mm. and, and just pay for your family. Yeah. <laughs> you have seven kids to look after, so... I had seven, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're all grown up now. Their family's mm. their own. I have 17 grandchildren. Mm-hmm. So well, what have I done to the planet? Mm. There's no <laughs> actors. And uh, the, reason, the main reason for that is that I didn't in- actively encourage anybody to act. Mm. Because if you're going to do it, you're going to do it. And the rate of people who do it is very small. And it should be, really. Otherwise, there'd be far too many actors. It's got to be a vocation, hasn't it? It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when did you release, then, the uh, Christmas 
The Twelve Days of Christmas, days of Christmas. Oh, many, many, many years ago, was, 30 years ago, I'm sure. Was that around the same time 35, as... 40 years ago. The Glen Abbey show, was it? That was on, it was on, the, it first appeared in the Glen Abbey show. All, oh, was, all yeah, my yeah, songs yeah, first appeared yeah. in the Glen Abbey show. And that went into... I did one of which I was very proud of, I liked it very much, called The Charismatic Tango. And yeah. it was condemned by a bishop. Oh, well, that's great. And that was the end you of that. Could, you couldn't get a better review. No, you couldn't <laughs> get a better review nowadays. Nowadays, but then? Then, no. Bang silence after that. Oh, really? But I did uh, the 12 Days of Christmas, Christmas Countdown, in desperation for an idea again. I couldn't write mm. a sketch. Mm. So I thought I'd try and write a song. What would I do? Mm. And I'd heard somebody make a very bad job of parodying the 12 Days of Christmas. It's mm. appalling. I was at a dinner one night and a fellow got up and did this. Mm. I thought there's a much better way of doing that. Mm. There is a way of doing that. You could crack that. Mm. So I sat down and I worked at that for half the night and I came up with it. And when I brought it in and read it to my wife, she said, you should record that properly outside. It'll be a hit. Mm. And it was. Yeah. It ended up on top of the pops. You were on top of the pops. And I got a letter from the Queen. The Queen? Yes. One of the Queen's handmaidens. We are commanded by Her Majesty to inform you that your, your, your comic song has given her great pleasure over the Christmas period. I have the letter upstairs. Wow. Mm. That's pretty good, isn't it? A letter from one queen to another. <laughs> really? <laughs> That's unbelievable. Yeah. You still you should have that framed. I haven't it framed. I haven't it framed. Mm-mm. I haven't it framed. Mm. And then how how long of a gap then is it to we're coming up to say Father Ted? That's a Father Ted is... Things were very quiet for me for a few months when yeah. Father Ted came. I wasn't in work. Yeah. yeah. And I went to that interview and the two guys, Graham and Arthur, were sitting there. And it wasn't very encouraging because Arthur's inclined to drawl mm. and he's a lovely guy. He's become a friend. Um, mm-hmm. And Graham had this rather shy, diffident way with him. Mm. And they handed me a piece of paper with every expletive that you could ever think of on it. <laughs> and would I shout them, please, you know? Yeah. And I thought, my God, I've done, I've done things, but OK, in the privacy of this room, I can do this. So I did it. Yeah. And they looked at each other for a while and they talked quietly in the corner. And then eventually they said, will you do it? And I said, what? And then yeah. They began to tell me then about Father Jack. Yeah. And uh, I said, yeah. See, what people don't realise about Father Jack is that he has a real character. He's yeah. not just a series of shouts. Yeah. He's a real person with an accent. It's yeah. a kind of a leash accent. Yeah. And uh, he, he just, you've got to inhabit the character if you're an actor. And I am an actor and I'm proud of that. Yeah. And uh, he's a success. But he doesn't consist in just sitting down shouting things. Oh, no. I mean, I always thought that the transformation from you to Father Jack was unbelievable. You wouldn't even believe it was you from looking at it. You, you know? wouldn't really, no. 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 Not mm. looking at this scrawny person, no. <laughs> no, um... I had a, you know, the Michelin man, the, the ad, yeah, the, yeah. the big figure. Yeah. Uh, that's been 100 years in books. Yeah. Um, they had a suit like that. I had to wear that underneath yeah. the clothes. Oh, yeah. And it zipped up from the crotch to the neck. Yeah. Uh, so you were in it, you were trapped in that, and then you get into the suit. Yeah. And halfway through the day, of course, you get an urge to go for a pee. Mm. That might be on set. Mm. It's pretty agonising. Mm-hmm. I associate that suit with long periods of agony. <laughs> Jesus, really. Mm. What did you have to just wait, wait? Wait and wait, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. And what about makeup? Did that take a while? Cause makeup to took over two hours. It took about two and a quarter hours initially. Yeah. And of course, uh, the makeup artist got it down to about just an hour or something eventually. After a while. Yeah. And they had all sorts of strange miscellaneous objects, materials in the makeup, like porridge and cornflakes. And, uh, and they'd stick them. With, up into my hair. Yeah. And. Uh, then I had um, a dummy eye. I had a false, I had a, a, an opaque contact lens in yeah. one eye, which was itchy and troublesome always. Yeah. And uh, so between that and bursting for a pee and the heat of the uniform, yeah. of the outfit, yeah. uh, it was stressful physically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, how did you feel then about the first series, once the first series was done? Did once you? I heard the audience reaction to what we had filmed down in County Clare, mm. I was just amazed because mm. they laughed themselves putrid. Mm. And I'm listening to audiences and trying to gauge the reaction all my life, all my working life. Yeah. I've never heard anything like that. Mm. My God, tonight I have never heard laughter like it, which is infectious because it drives you on. Yeah. Everybody, but you know well from performing on the stage as a, as a stand-up comic yeah. um, that it drives you to better work. You, you mm -hmm. perform better mm. on the back of the laughter, you know. Yeah, it's a back and forth thing between performer and audience, isn't it? It is, it's a chemistry. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. And yeah, that must, and it's a big studio where they record it, it's a big audience, so it's, it quite, it's quite a. It's very reassuring that you yeah. hadn't wasted your time down in Clare, you know, there'll be a nice time in Clare. Yeah. You know? And the, the, the times then, did, I know you thought this is going to be great, did you think it's going to. Be great with the watching audience, the the at home audience watching on TV. Did you have any idea it was going to be so big? That was enough confirmation for me of what happened in the studio. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh no, nobody could say it was going to be so big. Mm -hmm. Or oh, that that Dermot Morgan, when he died very sadly at the very end of the last episode, mm. that he was almost of a state funeral. Mm. Every politician was there, and it was just extraordinary. It never, it never realised that anything could mm. generate so much interest and notice. Mm. Including that's that's not to play down Dermot. Yeah. I mean, the tragedy of his death was enormous too. Mm. But of course, there were never going to be any more uh, any more father uh, uh, Ted's, even no, no matter what. The two yeah. guys had decided absolutely. Yeah, I think they were right because people could nearly write their own at that stage. Mm -hmm. And when they have these conventions down in Aran Islands and things like that, everybody mm. run around dressed as Father Jack. Mm. You can see that they would have written their own. There, I think some people have written episodes. I think it would have, it would have become devalued. Yeah, yeah. Did you know Dermot before Father Ted? Were you, were I you? did, yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. He was a very um, ambitious person, mm. uh, very preoccupied all the time with the next gig, the next movement, mm. the next movement in his career. Mm. And uh, you always felt he was looking over your shoulder at something at a better opportunity. Mm. And that was a kind of neurosis. It wasn't that he was a nasty person. I think it resulted from the fact that he was a rather late entrant into the business. He'd been teaching St Michael's School and things like that. But Dermot, uh, he hadn't a breadth of experience that other people would have. He hadn't worked in legitimate theatre at all. Mm. And um, he was always just about getting his act together with loads of talent. And there'd be great bursts of talent and, you know, mm. bursts of public interest in what he did. But he was very tense 
and very ambitious. Mm. And the sad thing is that when he died, it was all about to happen. There were about three or four things lined up that he could have done that were would have given him international fame, you know. But mm. he, he was a late entrant to the business, by my standard, because mm. I was doing it from the age of 17. And uh, indeed, I remember doing cabarets. My father sending me out to entertain um, various societies and things, groups, mm. uh, play the fiddle and, and mm. sing, that kind of thing. Mm. But Dermot hadn't... Uh, that experience. I thought I remember because well, when I was down shooting in Clary, he, you know, you'd shoot all day and then you'd relax. But he was apparently gone writing after he shot all day. He was writing another script or something. So he yeah, wasn't writing another script. He'd be making notes, making notes or something. Yeah, okay. yeah. he was just pushing himself a bit. Um, I don't know. Didn't he seem was. to be relaxing anyway. And if he was very rude to you, if he was talking to you and he didn't give you his attention and he was insulting. He'd come back to you invariably in two or three days' time and say, look, I felt I was very rude to you the other day when we were talking. I was very preoccupied. I was thinking about something else. I just phoned London and that kind of thing, you know? Mm. And uh, even to the extent that he would sometimes make it up to you by giving you little pressies. Mm. He'd buy you a drink. And there was one time he was particularly rude to me and he gave me a, a rather good bottle of wine about a week later or more. I thought I'd be very rude to you that day. That's a little present. Just to... So he, was, he had a very sweet nature, really. Mm, mm. His outward appearance wasn't always that, but he, mm. he, he took note of everything, you know. And how did you uh, find working over in London for those long stretches? I know you've already said that at times it was a bit lonely because there was an age gap between you and most of the rest of the... And there was, really, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean... I got along terribly well with the producer, Geoffrey Perkins. Yeah. But we would have been much nearer in age. Mm. Mm. Um, well, I, I didn't find it. I wasn't alienated from anybody on the set. I wasn't put sent to Coventry on the set. Mm. In fact, Paul McGlynn and I got along great. All right, yeah. And I describe in the book that I've just written, uh, we were writing a rather dangerous novel. I don't know what it would, it would have been on general sale anywhere. Really, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, good. yeah, yeah. It was just a joke between the two of us, mm -hmm. and we'd begin a new page when we'd be offset and start the novel, the novel, and developing the plot and all that kind yeah. of thing. It's a very funny game, actually. And um, we were very close on the on the different shoots, and we laughed our hearts out. And she was great company. Mm -hmm. She was very good for my spirits. No, when I talk about loneliness, I talk about being stuck in a in 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 a room on your own in London. Mm. And everybody who's worked there for any length of time has experienced the same thing. You just you feel like a social pariah. You go out and you're looking at people fondling a lovely baby somewhere in the mm. corner of a shop or something. Mm. And they look up at you fiercely and questioningly and you think, oh my God, they think I'm some kind of a pervert. You know what I mean? Right. Scuttle off and then you're looking at a loving couple mm. caressing each other in the corner of a pub mm. and thinking how sweet it looks. Mm. And uh, your man gives you a fierce stare if you fancy a bird. You yeah, know? and you, had, you don't. You had to grow the stubble for the part as well. So you I did. I wasn't pretty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. I was far from pretty. Yeah, people yeah. don't realise I can have such an appalling appearance. Right. I'm not pretty now. But. Yeah. Oh, you look great. No, I'm all right. <laughs> yeah, and. Uh, then all all through those years, then were you were you performing uh, in plays as well? And I was in the theater, I was the gay theater for about eight years. All through that time, yeah. And I was doing serious drama as well. 
Yeah. So most of the television work, as I said much, much earlier in this conversation, took place during the day. Mm-hmm. So you were gone, you were out before six o'clock, mm. and you belted into town and you were in time for your show, mm-hmm. because you had to be in by seven. So that was easy enough. So I used to... Uh, you'd have periods, you see, Frank Hall's show, the recording of it only took one day in the week. So he did the rest rehearsal play with Hilton Edwards in the gate. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, so we did loads of plays. I did loads mm-hmm. of street acting. And I did plenty of variety with Cecil Sheridan and Jack Cruz. I was Jack Cruz's feed for two years. Yeah. Cecil's for two years. I was Jimmy O'Dea's feed for a year. So mm-hmm. I'm, well, not quite Jimmy's feed, but I was allowed to speak in sketches and things. That was a great privilege when you're very young. Mm. So I had experience of that kind of foot, old, tough footlights theatre, you know. And was that mainly in Dublin, or did you move around a lot? Well, you toured, you toured went out. out. Mm. We'd, we'd go to Limerick and Water, Limerick and Cork. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you, you toured. And with Cecil Sheridan, you'd go out to... Mm. and do what they call run-outs, one-night shows down the country. Mm. I always remember standing down somewhere near Waterford and um, there was a fella and he had all the money in cash and he was paying us from the hip pocket for a big, huge, big show uh, for doing variety for him at Cabaret. And uh, he was paying rather handsomely but he was keeping us all on the spot and he was staring up at the moon with the clouds going over. It was that kind of a chilly night with a good moon, you know. Mm-hmm. We wanted to get the hell out of there, just get the money and go, you know. Mm. And he looked up at the moon and we were all dancing on the ground. He'd only paid one or two people. And he was now a man drunk with power, with the money in his pocket. Mm. And he looked up at the moon and he sucked his teeth and he says, what part of the globe are you appearing in tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> right. He, it wasn't that glamorous. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. But it went to his head, gone to his head. Oh, at that. yeah, he's drunk with power with the money. Yeah. Yeah. What part of the globe are you appearing in tomorrow? <laughs> And then there was uh, uh, there was this, Eugene Lambert used to do ventriloquism. Oh, yeah. And part of his act was putting the dummy away, putting it in, in, in a case and uh, strapping it up. And the dummy would be kicking and fighting as he put him into the case, you see. And uh, eventually the dummy would scream, you left your dirty, smelly shirt or something in here, just his underwear, you know, all that kind of thing. Yeah. And he'd close the case, you know, and make as if there'd be thumps from the case where the dummy was locked up. It was a very funny act. Mm. And there was an old priest in the hall that we were in. This was in Kilkenny. Mm. And the priest said to uh, to uh, someone in the audience, uh, he said, tell us, young lad, he never advanced, did he? He was talking about the, the dummy yeah. that entered the wisdom. <laughs> The young lad, he never advanced, did he? Hasn't <laughs> putting a child in a case screaming. <laughs> no, not a good act, no. But speaking of Eugene Lambert, you, you, you did uh, Wanderley Wagon for for years. Was that uh, before...? I did eight years of Wanderley Wagon. Some of these things were concurrent. Was that around the same so time as Hulse? Well, yeah, they, yeah, they overlapped. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I did eight years um, of Wanderley Wagon. So at Wanderley Wagon, I don't... I played Dr. Astro. Right, yeah. And I played... And you wrote for it as well, didn't you? I played Sneaky Snake. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I wrote for it as well, mm. thanks mm. be to God. Mm. So I had the writing money and the playing money. <laughs> 
and uh, it's one of those things great. that um, I don't think anything. There's only clips of it that exist now, which is a shame. Because, well, RT has destroyed his archive, oh, as you know, and it has destroyed the last hour-long comedy show with Maureen and Jimmy, Maureen Potter, and Jimmy O'Dea. Yeah, that, that would have been something to, yeah. to have, you know. It's unbelievable. They did all the famous sketches, you know. Mm-hmm. And, it's wonderly. Uh, Wagner was an incredible show. Anyone my age, there's or very young. little of it. They, they brought out one CD and yeah. nothing on it. Yeah. Three shows or something. Yeah, loved uh, <coughs> with crow, a crow that lived in a cuckoo clock, and uh, that's right. Yeah, the yeah. dog Judge and Foxy Loxy was it? That's right. Yeah, Foxy Loxy. Yeah. Oh, oh, Brian, that's Judge, wasn't it? That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant. Even the opening sequence where this wagon kind of goes through a uh, what do you call those Celtic kind of oh, st- yeah. flat stone on two stones one of those yeah. I don't know what yeah. they're called and it goes into another kind of a dimension yeah. so there's something magical about it it's prehistoric prehistoric kind of yeah it's brilliant it was brilliant and they had to, the, the, the very caring American director Don Lennox very passive man very caring he wants to have a happy horse Mm. So we had this happy horse. I think it was called Paddy. Now, I wasn't in the show then, but I know this mm. has been told of many times. And um, so they got a happy horse, got an old happy horse, who died on the first take. He dropped dead between the shafts. <laughs> really? <laughs> it's a bit of a downer for the cast when the horse is taken away because he's died. <laughs> I know. You're probably all thinking, who's next? Who's next? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just an amazing show. So when you're, I was up getting a driver's license on the north side of the city. When they used to, you'd have to go up there. Then mm. there was an office up there, and I was on my way back, and uh, I had my head down. I was walking, and I walked straight into another human being who had really stepped out to block me on the pavement, mm-hmm. and he was of enormous dimensions. He was a huge guy, and he was filthy. His clothes were filthy. He had a t-shirt on and jeans. Mm-hmm. But the jeans were all in rags. It wasn't fashionable to have torn jeans then. Mm-hmm. And this belly on him and muscles like you've never seen, like a sailor out of a pantomime. Mm-hmm. And he said, I have a crow to pluck with you. And I looked up, I could see his face. And I, I was then about 5'11 in height. Mm-hmm. So that made him very tall. I had to look up to talk to him, you see. Mm-hmm. He said, I have a crow to pluck with you. And I said, oh my God, it's going to happen now. You finally met it, you know. Mm. You always thought you were a tough guy, but you're not going to be able to do anything about this, you mm. know. So he says, I have a crow to pluck with you, and I'm standing there waiting for the blow. And he said, you frighten the shit out of me, as Dr. Rasto and Wanderley back in. I said, I'm very sorry about that. Stepped around and kept walking fast. <laughs> Never looked back. He's probably had to go to therapy for years because of I, that. Don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. So how did you like you uh, then working on Emmerdale? That that was another trips away, I suppose. I again. didn't like it because no. what happened was mm. a bit of a tragedy. I was in a mansion house at an awards celebration, mm. and all the cast of Emmerdale arrived in, full of jollity, with their uh, uh, producer director mm. and. Uh, he was a very influential guy in the setup of of of, of uh, Emmerdale, and um, he came over to me and he said, "It's you." He said, "I've always wanted to have you in my show. Mm. Will you come into my show?" And I said, "Well, I don't think it's my kind of thing, and I don't want to just you know this kind of thing because I'd done, I'd been in soaps before." Mm. 
So he said, no, you've got to do it. So I talked to Barbara about it, and eventually we got, I got in touch with my agent, and the agent said, sure, go for it. I did it. I went over, and I was there a month, and he died. Oh. And nobody ever knew why I was there, what mm. he saw in me, what he wanted for me, mm. what he wanted them to write for me. Mm. So I had a very arid experience for no. a year. Okay. Yet the lines were pretty dead. I wasn't going anywhere, you know? Right, the character. So I was very glad when, when it was over. You'd done Glen Rowe as well? I did yeah. Glen Rowe for a year, yeah. yeah. And yeah. once again, they never got around writing anything for me. And I don't, mm. Glen Rowe was getting tired then. It was on its way mm. out mm. anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a bit of fun. It was a year. Mm-hmm. I'd never been in a soap before. Mm. But I, I, I don't know if I'd like to spend the rest of my career in a soap. Mm. No, I, think I wouldn't it, mind having regular money. Yeah, but I think you've always... It's when you've got these big characters, these... That suit you, do you not think? Just from TV. Just like the, the, the yeah. Hall's Pictorial and the... Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, well, you see, you've got the, a variety of things to do in Hall's Pictorial. Uh, you mm. weren't labelled with just one character. You mm. know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You played ten different characters, you know? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that was fine. I used to play Jack Lynch. Yeah. I played the piano once with Jack Lynch. Yeah? I played the banks or something like that. Yeah. And I met Jack Lynch at an awards ceremony. And... Uh, he was enjoying the evening very much indeed. And he said, here's the only person who sings the banks as well as I do. Yeah. And uh, so we had a chat, you see. Mm. And he ordered a bottle of whiskey and we killed about two thirds of it. And Maureen and his wife was furious with him. She wanted him to come home, you know. <laughs> Always the husband and wife thing, you know, when the drink is flowing. Mm-hmm. You make a disgrace to yourself, you know. Mm. So by heaven did we do a job on that bottle of whiskey. Fair play. Myself and the Taoiseach drink. That's incredible. Great, yeah. great, great, yeah. That's a good thing about living in a small country. Yeah, you can bump into the president of the tea. You wouldn't get near the, the, the <laughs> tea shop in, in, in France or somewhere, you know. Yeah, yeah. Someone with a gun to your head. <laughs> yeah, I know, it, it is amazing. Oh, we ki- killed a bottle of paddy. You want to see what we did, the job we did on it? Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Great <laughs> night. Well worth the hangover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You probably jumped in the sea the next day or something. You go swimming in the sea, don't you? I used to, yeah. Yeah. I haven't for a while, so I haven't been well. I was Mm -hmm. in the hospital an awful lot. And uh, Mm. I'm out now. I've escaped. Yeah, good. And I haven't found a tunnel. (laughs) Just like Black Rock College. Yeah. Yeah. I dig tunnels. Yeah. Well, listen, thanks a million for talking to me and taking the time out. It's a great pleasure and an honour. My first podcast. Yeah. I'm in awe of the technology. Yeah. I'm a complete ignoramus where technology is concerned. That's bloody changing. I so. can't remember my email address. And mm. I don't use a computer and, you know, I don't. Mm. I remember when I was on Emmerdale, uh, I'd be chatting to the members of the cast there and they'd ask me questions. Oh, what age are you, Frank? Something like that. They're a lot of my Yorkshire accents. Mm. And uh, I'd say, oh, that'd be telling you now. I'm not going to. Being very Irish, I wouldn't be telling my exact age, you see. Mm. I'm self-conscious about it because I'm getting old. Mm. And uh, say so it doesn't matter. I can look it up here. Because <laughs> on Wikipedia, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it kills all the need for conversation. You know, it's the true. Huge areas of the green room. There were seventy room for seventy people in the green room, and ten dedicated studios. That'll give you an idea of the size of that machine mm. for making a weekly program. It's huge, and they have built a village. They've actually built the village. Mm-hmm. They've running water and electricity yeah. in the houses, you know, on the set. I don't think RTE would do that, do you? Uh, no, no, I don't think so. Not really. No, they wouldn't put in the water in here. Nope. <laughs> so, uh, 
it was an interesting experience. But again, oh, I mean, sitting on your own in the evenings in, 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 in the digs, you know? Yeah. With your bottle of wine and yeah. the telly on. And, uh, no, not for me. And even during the day, yeah, it's part of... Got part. plenty of sleep. There was no revelling, you see. I wasn't Yeah, I'd get no. to bed early and get a long sleep. Uh. It, it was a very good sleeping place. There was very little noise and very yeah. comfortable beds. Uh. So, and where I was. So, uh, that was good. She got a good sleep. It was lonely and, you know, I read a lot. Yeah. Did crosswords. Right. Well, I'm glad you're back, anyway. I'm glad to be back, too. <laughs> the first and next gig. Yeah. We'll see how this book goes, though. It's called The Next Gig, everybody. Next gig, next gig. Buy it. Okay. Thanks a lot, Frank. Thank you. Well, there you go. That was Frank Kelly. What a nice man. And his book, The Next Gig, is out at the minute on hardback. At least on hardback, possibly on paperback. Um, good present for Christmas and it will be out on audiobook eventually with Frank Kelly reading it of course I'm standing here on Dublin Street Lane South in Edinburgh just thought I'd stand here because it's got Dublin in the name Dublin, Dublin, yep but you know Edinburgh is so beautiful it's got all these lovely granite buildings there you go, that's my rundown on the architecture of Edinburgh. Yeah, I had a great weekend uh, last weekend. I just want to give a shout-out to Vodafone for the Vodafone Comedy Carnival in Galway. It was absolutely brilliant. We all, all the comedians or performers got a gift of a little camera, a little kind of GoPro camera. And that waterproof thing, I haven't used it yet, but still, I love gifts. Love bloody gifts, I do. Yeah, so listen, if this is the first time listening, you know, there's lots of other episodes out there that you can listen to of, of my thing with Ardla Hanlon and uh, Des Bishop, Willie White. And on the Castaway Media website, there are other podcasts, 738am, uh, and there's Not Now Cato, and they're just brilliant. Uh, it's great to be part of this group of podcasts and if you want to react if you just give me a contact because I'm not getting paid for this I do it out of the goodness of my own heart really uh, so I'd like a, just a little bit of a feedback or kudos you know what I mean uh, you can contact me on Joe Rooney the number one on Twitter at Joe Rooney one and at my website www.joerooneycomedian.com if you're on iTunes I believe you can get a star give a star rating so yeah anyway that's it uh, let have a listen in next week I'll be back with some other guests I'm not sure exactly who yet uh, thanks to Castaway Media for hosting this and thanks to everybody for listening particularly you for listening so if you're on the bicycle and you're in your car give yourself a clap in the back well actually don't because that would be dangerous but wait till you get home give yourself a clap uh, a slap on the back and a round of applause and a standing ovation thanks a lot see ya bye This year's been a roller coaster and not the fun kind. 
Businesses know it's a dangerous time to not know your numbers. That's why you need NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite gives you visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, and budgeting to identify rising costs, automate business processes, and save money. Over 31,000 businesses have the confidence they need because of NetSuite. See if you qualify for NetSuite's one-of-a-kind flexible financing offer. Head to netsuite.com go right now. netsuite.com go.